it's Leif on here and the crew has been assembled and welcome back to another podcast episode with the official Otaku crew. I'm joined by, well, I'm going to, I often say lovely panelists, but I'm just going to say the crew members. We got, ooh, how do, how do I do this? Uh, we got Tensa the Erect, Hammy the Fluffy, and uh, Zan the Arsonist, I, I, I guess. I, I don't know. The arsonist? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he got away with arson last time. I, I still remember. <laughs> I'm so confused right now. I I couldn't think. I wasn't sure what to say. There was a few things, but I went with something simple: burn it with fire. So arson. Yeah, that that's definitely Zentuti. That's so concerning. We live in a world especially world. especially given the subject matter of today's talk. Exactly. So. <laughs> so Zen, I appreciate uh, you saying this because today. We're going to be covering a topic, extremely vague, but it's interesting how many times we've discussed something relatively close to it. So without further ado, I just want to say this, that you can find all the official Toggle Crew podcast episodes on YouTube. You look for the microphone logo at the official Otago Crew, the TikTok page, the official Otago Crew, the Rumble page, the official Otago Crew, and the Twitch channel at the official Otago Crew. Now, sorry, I had to say it. But the topic this time around, we're covering, long and behold, Studio Ghibli, of course, the, the big bad monster itself, and the notion of environmentalism in the Ghibli films. Now, as always, I keep it, we're keeping it purposely vague because there's so many ways to dissect the topic and go about discussing it. However, I want to do justice to this topic to the best of my ability. So I would like to give some background to this because it will be necessary as we will be building off on the topic. This is more of like historical information I'll be providing. So bear with me. It's the boring part, but you'll it sort of makes sense later on and why. But first off, I want to say this. There is no actual evidence at any point that says Miyazaki is like uh, an environmentalist by any sorts or an activist for it there's never been anything documented or even in those interviews that's never been actually stated i can confirm this because i've read numerous articles trying to find a linkage of environmentalism and miyazaki it's just either was never written or he just never said it. it's one of the two let me give you some details and some historical information on this before we proceed the success of Japan's environmental movement can be attributed to two factors, rise in anti-population groups, rapid industrialization and urbanization that led to the emergence of numerous anti-population, uh, sorry, anti-pollution groups. That's the first one. And the second, this is by far the most important, I find, the impact of World War II. The aftermath of itself, particularly the post-war rehabilitation phase, so this is between 1945 to 1960, uh, prompted the urban middle class, the quote-unquote working class at the time, to seek unpopulated um, natural environments as a contrast to their urban lifestyle. So they were looking for some sort of natural setting within the urban lifestyle that, that they were living. But mind you, with the World War that happened, World War II, it was very difficult to find that. So people tried to return to nature, so to say. Now, this newfound awareness of... Um, of uh, nature's importance and the need for protection grew as people discovered environmental uh, contamination issues persisting until the 1950s. So from World War until 1950s and a little, I'd say, early 1950s, people were becoming more aware that something is going on. Now, Tokyo and Osaka initiated some environmental regulations. Enforcement remained, well, lackluster, so to say. Japanese industries prioritized short-term gains over long-term consequences. So there was no power checks. So whatever had been done had been done, and no one was really trying to fix it, at least the people in power. And as I already said, these anti-pollution groups were doing their best. Now, the detrimental effect of industry and, I guess, pesticides that were used in the war or whatever inflammatory objects on like were used on uh, the environment led to increased consciousness. Now, at the time of the war, there was a lot of wartime propaganda. That, that sparked one thing, which led to actually Japanese artists in, integrating it into other forms. Like, uh, it could be it could have been street art at the time, or like we saw, like I mentioned, wartime propaganda, where it's like, stop the war, these children are dying, and it was 
I don't want to say like it was used as a comedic trope, but to a degree it was. Now that stems into into this that Japanese artists like Miyazaki, born in 1941, so he's really like in the middle of it and growing up with all, everything else going around, played a played a role in highlighting the importance of nature. The they emphasize the interconnectedness of uh, so to say of Japanese people with nature for fostering empathy by imagining themselves in the place of nature, understanding the need for preservation. It was the same human and environmental uh, duality which uh, Miyazaki would later go on to say is that he tries to understand the relationship between the world and himself, doing this through characters with different worldviews and their encounters with different situations, whether these include inner lives that are rich and abundant or narrow and limited. And so we can clearly uh, see a lot of these, um, I want to say, distinctions found in multiple, multiple movies. You got My Neighbor Totoro, got Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, um, what else? What else? Um, what was it? I guess Porco Rosso, maybe a bit, and of course, uh, it would be uh, Princess Mononoke. So, just to <laughs> summarize everything I just said, I apologize if I bored anyone by doing this. There was a lot of stuff happening in Japan, and people grew aware of what was happening during the World War and so forth. And Miyazaki was literally in the middle of it from early age when he was working at his father's uh, airplane factory, well, airplane manufacturing plant, to his um to his later years. And so I want to say that there is heavily tropes of environmentalism that that pop up in his films it's there but he does not admit it to himself being an environmentalist now i want to open up the floor to everyone else and see what their thoughts are what do you think environmentalism is where have you seen environmentalism in uh, studio ghibli all right well i guess i could start um so uh for me uh well what I think environmentalism is in general, it's just, I guess you could say, just awareness of like what's going on in the world and awareness of, you know, the the consequences of our actions and holding ourselves accountable. I would say that would be environmentalism. And as for environmentalism in uh, Studio Ghibli films, uh, I mean, I've seen quite a few examples but i think the biggest one that comes to mind is definitely princess mononoke uh that one really shows like the whole uh dynamic between man versus nature technology versus uh you know like natural environments and whatnot in industry versus the wildlands uh we see you know nature fighting back and un incapable of overcoming man's progression even by the end of the movie spoiler alert you know obviously industry and men technically win the damage is already done and uh the, the very soul and heart of the forest ends up dying because of our actions in the movie uh technically there is somewhat of a peace made um, I think that's kind of like uh, something we could hope to achieve in real life. It's like a some kind of middle point where we can we can raise both uh, humanity and nature together and progress to both. But that's yet to be seen. But that would be my thoughts on like the biggest example, in my opinion, for environmentalism in a studio ghibli film all right i like i like that you point that out zan like there are consequences to our actions and the movie depicts like the rapid pace of industrialization and the i guess the benefit and the outcome of of what does happen not the expected outcome but it is an inevitable outcome in terms of uh like environmentalism while i agree like just having like awareness our surroundings and the environment and the world we inhabit. I also think a big part of environmentalism is appreciating it. And I feel like 
one movie by Ghibli that does a really good job of that is probably My Neighbor Totoro, because it just depicts, it, it takes place, I think in, is it Saitama Prefecture? I'm not sure exactly where, but it takes place in like a countryside area, and it basically presents a very like beautiful, uncomfortable environment, whereas nature can look very scary for people, especially little kids like our protagonists in the movie, but in this movie, there's nothing but appreciation for what the forest has, the wonders of nature, and just how to enjoy it, and I guess just not making it seem like our world, but more of a world that we inhabit and are a part of and are sharing with other creatures and other beings. I I hear you I hear you um Hammy and uh two things so you're correct it was in the Saitama prefecture I had to uh, fact check that but yes you were correct and yeah I found something that really struck me with um with my neighbor Totoro specifically is that in the eyes of children like the movie depicts uh, it shows everything going on centered around children so we see the vastness of nature and. And you're right, there is a found appreciation, but I wonder if we had been looking at it through the lens of an adult, people would see like these overgrown bushes, this hanging tree, something as a nuisance rather than something as uh, joyous as a kid would see it, you know? It is possible because like a children's, children's perspective is very different from adults, but I also think it's worth noting that children might be inclined to be more scared because for instance look at Totoro himself I mean he's arguably a monster he's pretty massive and he could be intimidating when viewed in a certain light but I feel like the whole message of the movie is to just appreciate and love and see the beauty in the world around you rather than fearing it and I think that's a really beautiful thing of course and you know, we gotta admit Totoro uh, iconic character grew up with him and I, I thing is i can't see him in a different light or or what or what it is yeah. but and the amount of merchandise that totoro himself has sold oh that's something else but i and i get it like he gets to be seen in a certain light this way but at the same time oh. i'm like this big ball of fur I, I, I can't see it i mean yeah even me i see him as like sort of the poster like mascot for ghibli and just like a big oversized chinchilla but my point is like if i was a little kid walking through the forest and i bumped into something that looked like him i'd probably run away like <laughs> hey everyone this episode is sponsored by audible if you're like me and you want to find yourself a pastime but don't have enough time in the day due to school work or commuting let me present to you Audible. Now, many of you have heard about Audible, but I'm going to tell you a bit more about it. Audible is an American online audiobook and podcast service that lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment on one app, whether it be, for example, a few in my library are His Dark Materials, Percy Jackson, Aragon, Witcher, Lord of the Rings, and many more for you to discover. You can always find audio for books you have been wanting to read or podcasts you've been dying to listen to. You will also find all the Otaku Crew up-to-date episodes lists available on Audible. As an Audible member, you can also choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, which includes the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you follow our Audible link, www.audibletrial.com slash official crew, you can start a free 30-day trial. So go to Audible now and start your free trial. We now return back to your scheduled episode. And he chased you down. Perhaps it would chase me down. I hope not, though. But Tenso, so far, Zan has given their thoughts. Hammy's done it. What about you, Tenso? What do you think? So for how I think about it, it's that I don't even know if I would call it environmentalism so much that I just think that the Japanese do inherently have an appreciation with nature it's kind of actually embedded in their culture in the first place a lot of it is because they do hold the belief that nothing is permanent and nature is a good example of that things grow things die and the cycle repeats and uh, while 
I agree with um, Zen as well with a lot of things, with uh, especially with Princess Mononoke, because that's the one that just keeps coming to mind throughout the entire episode. Always. I will also point out that because there's also a lot of anti-war stuff going on, that it also shows what happens when you don't take care of nature in the first place. Because, yes, nature is beautiful, but it's also like, it's as if they're trying to show that it's also the responsibility of those who live in it to, in fact, preserve it. Because we've seen a few instances in both Princess Mononoke, I'm not quite sure about Pokorosa, it's been a while, but definitely in Grave of the Fireflies, a lot of what happens if that's just not... Now, why that's... would you go ahead and bring that movie up? Because that's a cry. Ghibli movie. I'm going to cry now because of that. You're welcome. <laughs> Point being is that I tend to be more conscious of the destruction of nature posed instead of the nature, the scenery porn that Ghibli usually exhibits. Because a lot of the environmentalism seems to be trying to send a message as if to imply that if we're not taking care of what's around us, that might not be around for our grandchildren. So basically, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind style, we're going to create yes. uh, some humanoids and it's going to destroy the whole planet. Basically. It's going to be a slow process, but it's going to be... It's, it's there. Oh, this process has already, already begun with the world that large, but that's a, that's a different topic altogether. Exactly, I, exactly. I, I do have uh, a point to be made as well with something in regards to what uh, Tensa said. He acknowledged the part about uh, Japan and nature, like nature, kind of the preservation of nature and whatnot and, and appreciation of nature uh, being ingrained in Japanese culture which um, I also find a little interesting because, yes, that's very true, but at the same time, it's just odd because Japan is also a collective capitalist country. And yeah, as of recent. As of recent, which is very odd. It's very uh, odd that they live, they, because they're so, they're so traditional, right? So it's very yeah, odd yeah, that they would, the swing, they, would so, it, they would swing in that direction just because... Um, yeah, but if you look all the way to their vocabulary, Oh yeah, no, a no, no. Lot, a lot of the proverbs are nature-based, but I just, but oh yeah, no, Ghibli I, just, but Ghibli just shows how war can change an entire nation. Oh yeah, so no, I, absolutely. I, I, I'm not saying I disagree. I actually agree with all of it. I'm just saying I find it very interesting that that Japan would went from like full flip flop, to full tech. Yeah, yeah, to to flip flop directly into a collective capitalist country which is very odd because it's, it's um, it's because capitalism strange. capitalism technically can't even exist in in a finite uh resource like earth it, capitalism is about infinite growth and you can't have infinite growth on a planet with finite resources obviously so it's just i and, i just i just thought it was an odd point uh like a, like an and, interesting point to think to and point. when and when on top of that Japan is experiencing that finite point because after World War II, there was an economic boom, but that wasn't permanent. The bubble period, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> the honeymoon and, stage. And that's the thing. It's that just With like a tad bit of radiation. Growth, yes, and two bombs. Um, but um, jokes aside, um, it, it grew, it, the economy grew, it grew, then it went stale. And not so different from nature usually, but, uh, but the difference is that na nature usually tends to recycle itself without interference of everything else. But by the consequences of war, which what uh, Ghibli tends to exhibit, those damages tend to be permanent. And that is where I believe that the concerns originally come from. From the fact that by the consequences of man, the cycle of nature may be slowed down and halted. 
Well, yeah, that's that's what I was saying too with uh, Princess Mononoke because it wasn't just war in Princess Mononoke. It was the advancement. No, it, it, of it was the abuse of resources. It was everything. Oh like, yeah, yeah we're, we're cutting down trees. We're hunting out animals for food. A, a little, a little too close to home. A little too close to real life. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like I, I can't I can't use my hunting rifle anymore. Like what what's wrong with you? But uh, but yeah, it's. It's the fact that that kind of thing was not too far off in the real world. Like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, even 600 years ago, we were exactly doing that. War versus nature. Um, I wonder if he was also partially inspired because I don't know if you know like the, uh, local history, but uh, in North America, um, buffalo had almost gone extinct and like i remember native americans here in north america were fighting westerners to cease the hunting of buffalo uh because they were basically going extinct uh, now now there's an abundance of them but they had to be saved the, 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 the point is that they have to stop for a while because they were going to be gone Exactly. It was just a, a, like an abuse of uh, of like harvesting resources, essentially. And, and that's an interesting point you make, because don't forget that the Japanese do believe that everything has a spirit. If you look into their culture. So while it looks inspired, there's also an argument that. That they have an inherent belief system that allows that kind of mysticism but i would not throw that off because first nation people natives they also kind of have that belief in the great spirit of nature well they they also share very close relatives too don't I forget native, native americans i would not be surprised if yeah. you looked up the anu people yeah well, native, I... native americans also have uh a shared ancestry with Mongolians, and obviously Mongolians have shared ancestry oh. with Japanese and Chinese. And, and yes, and we know that Mongolians does have a lot of shamanistic beliefs at the time, so I can see where that comes from. Definitely, we see that Mongolian uh, influence on Japanese culture, Native American culture, Although they, this we're talking Mongolian ancestry though, so it's before the Mongolian Empire. But yes, it's 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 before Khan spread his DNAs and dudes from New York to Japan. Got it. Well, I want to intervene here real quick. Now we've come more or less to a point where we can clearly. I'm going to say the word clearly this time because it's an absolute that. Ghibli does these things. They they're underlying messages that take care of this, or this will happen. Now, would you say that people should actually try to take care of uh, what is around them? It doesn't have to be nature itself, but just whatever's going on around them that they should be aware. Like, oh, I did this, or this is going on. If it keeps continuing, so and so might happen. Or they should they just live in the fantasy that oh, it will fix itself. I personally want that people should be aware, like, hey, you're doing this, you're doing that. There is a consequence. Potential I consequence. Would like to, I would like to say that every effort counts. So while there is an inherent belief of things will fix itself with you or without you, it always makes sense to contribute to fixing sure. Because at the end of the day, it might not be for you. It might be for your future. Maybe not in your immediate future, but your for a far off future. Exactly. What if you want what if you want to show to your grandchildren that bird that is completely extinct because you were careless? Things like that. Like what if there there is there are stakes into letting the world just correct itself but at the very same time because we're either directly or indirectly the cause of nature's destruction it only makes sense for us to make efforts to preserve it as best as we can it's funny Tensa, that you say that because 
it was uh if i recall it was that character i forget her uh, was it nausicaa valley of the wind was the girl's name actually nausicaa i'm forgetting i forgot at this point like oh well well fine let's call her nausicaa in this end i'm really sure that's what it was but tenso you're correct that it one person doing something right making the effort is big or small save save the whole civilization and that's just empowering at least i found it personally empowering is like if i can do this one thing i can i can make a difference it's the butterfly effect but yeah i would agree that um everyone should collectively put in efforts and everything i mean let's face it um as yeah, obvious the name of the as, as obvious as uh, environmentalism and and environmental issues are present in studio ghibli films uh, so too are they as obvious in real life um i think the important thing that we can learn from all of it is to be humble and there's several very dedicated people who are working to bring us this kind of information so that we can use that information to better our lives and um so we should probably be humble and listen to what it is that they have to say and read the studies that they've made and accept the truths that are being told and do something about it fix what needs to be fixed basically just have respect for not only nature but ourselves our home uh there are trillions upon trillions countless countless trillions uh infinite amount of stars and several of those stars have planets in the universe that we could observe and out of all of those yes i mean there is chances that there is life elsewhere and there's chances that um you know there's other hospitable planets elsewhere but as of right now there's no direct evidence of any of it although i do believe that there is there's is no direct evidence of it so as of right now the only thing we can be sure of is this is our one and only home and if we mess it up we're not going to have another home to run to we could run to mars i have a counter argument to that wait 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 wait, wait tensa oh, wait are are you about to go at him about having another home or anything like yes. that yes yes um, we can we can the, have the, another the, we can have another no, that's, home that's not the counter argument it's even if you do have another home what tells us that we're not going to be able to take care of it if we're not able to take care of what we have now? Well, there, there is that what? as well. There is that as well. But the, uh, theoreticals off the table, this is our only home right now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're doing a pretty poor job at keeping our bed clean. Exactly. So it's, it's, the, it's to the point where I believe that we should not even worry about going into someone else's house. Our, our home should be our, our priority. Okay, I can so. I can get behind that for sure. And and uh, something, something, now that you mention it, it's coming to me. This, the topic of home, like, uh, it, it ties into environmentalism just a bit, not too much, but I'm going to try to make the leap here that if we take the Princess Mononoke example, we see where Ashitaka comes from, the main protagonist of Nobody Knows. If you if you don't know what are you doing here, that that's my first question. But anyways, we see what his home is like, and we see the the what is it that uh, what was it the the god turned demon went out through the forest and attacked his home because other people caused that demon to come and in, come into the world. So, uh, Zan, what you're saying is does heavily hold true. We should take care of what is ours so we don't trouble others. But there's a direct linkage right there. Mine, Iron Town does this. They what were, what were they mining iron sand? Made a bullet out of it. Shot the god. God became demon, and demon went on a rampage and destroyed other people's homes. So for me, that's like a question of accountability. It's like, do you not see the causality in this? Basically, that's just at least what um what came to me when you were discussing home. 
Yeah, essentially that's that's what it is. It's, our 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 actions all have consequences, and we and, uh, and we should start taking and accepting accountability for said actions, and taking the responsibility to go out of our way to right those wrongs. Because at the end of the at the end of it, even if you remove the mysticism, the events would still happen exactly as is. The mysticism at best is there to explain what happens when you do these things. And this is and this is why they effed they, around and they found out. Yes. They they, they messed up and oof. They, sever they severely did. Hammy, it looks like you were about to say something. Yeah, I, I was just kind of going to say that I agree with like everything Dazan was saying, especially about like the whole point on humbling ourselves because we have a tendency as humans to sort of perceive ourselves as the center of everything, as the center of the universe, and yet when things go wrong, we don't want to take accountability for what's going wrong. And it's like, we share this world. It's, it's more than just other people that we're sharing this world with. We're sharing this world with animals. We're sharing this word, world with plants and nature. And I think we tend to forget about that because most of the time, all we really think of is how the things in this world around us can benefit us and how we can use them to our advantage. We don't really see it as an opportunity to share our world with these other beings. And like I said, I just think that kind of comes with being humble and being respectful and realizing that there's more to this world than just what we can do with it and us living in it and our comfort. I agree with you, uh, uh, Hammy. Honestly, I, everything we've stated, it, as common sense as it should be, unfortunately, it isn't. And these are r real things that are going on. Tensa, you've stated it. Hammy, Zan, you've you've all stated it at this point in time. It's also at this point. Uh, I believe that a lot of it is becoming a question of money. In the sense that the ones who benefit from destruction wants to keep benefiting from it. The so capitalistic machine, yeah. Well, well it's yeah. like it's like what Tensa said earlier too, right? Tensa, what was it you said before? It was short-term profit for long and ignore long-term consequences was it yes but that was um that was Lafon who mentioned that yeah short-term problem that was actually Lafon, but okay uh, the point is that we've agreed with that because the idea uh, my point was similar in the form of the economic boom because that was all short-term boost but long-term it didn't do anything yeah, and just like humanity now thinks about our short-term profits, we're thinking about here and now and how much money we can make in our lifetime. But and that money isn't going to matter much if we don't have a home to spend it on. Or if we, are, if we don't have anything to spend on because we just destroyed everything. Not only that, but capitalism is flawed in the sense that it's a system that encourages like unlimited growth with using limited resources like i think it's so easy for people to forget that we don't we can't just like keep producing constantly like that and it's also the fact that it's easy to buy into the concept because it promises so much on paper but people fail to realize what actually happens well, here's something I did want to insert. Um, it's a sort of a fun fact, and I'm going to try related to the topic that Nausicaa was actually the first uh, Ghibli film that came to came to theaters. Came, like actually came to theaters. This is during like the big boom of when uh, what was it? The first Pokemon movie was released in theaters and all that. And honestly, everyone told Miyazaki, "You're gonna write about a girl who likes nature in a post-apocalyptic world." He's like damn right I am and look and look what happened and honestly the reception of people to that I think it's what really triggered something people to become a little more aware like this is this is the situation and this is what it 
what could be. I'm not saying there's going to be a giant humanoid who's gonna, who's going to shoot lasers or anything or anything at you. What I'm seeing is that his storytelling is also what captivates audience, and you have to remember that when you oversimplify by a girl who likes nature, that automatically sounds boring. Mm -hmm. But um, Nausicaa of um, the wind. Valley of the wind. Yes, of the wind. That's that's why I kept getting confused. Um, of the valley of the wind. Sorry. Basically, because of the method of storytelling and the skill that it took to tell his story, that's what captivates the audience. It just shows that at the end of the day, you don't need anything ridiculous to tell a good story. You just need to be captivated. Exactly. And it doesn't take much. Yeah, you don't have to put a sign to someone's face saying, don't litter, or this, sorry, litter and this will happen. You don't need to do that. Like the PSA in Sailor Moon? Exactly. Well, North America only because I don't think it happened in Japan. Ooh, I couldn't tell you, but but I see but I see what you mean, Tensa. <laughs> well, yeah, bringing awareness to these situations is really important, too, because I don't think everyone in the world is necessarily a bad person. Like, I don't think it's everyone's intention to just, like, oh run the capitalist machine and use everything to our own benefits and be selfish but it's just that's kind of how we're conditioned to be living in this society especially when you live in like the city or bigger more urban areas it's kind of easy to forget about nature and just I guess where all of what we have and what we're benefiting from actually comes from so I feel like when narratives like Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and Princess Mononoke and even My Neighbor Totoro are presented to audiences, it kind of reminds us of these things that we tend to neglect. Sort of like how people often don't live in the moment uh, or notice things around them. They're just so, it's like a, I won't, yeah, okay, I'll say it. It's like a tunnel vision and they're just primarily focused on one aspect rather than the whole picture. Well, yeah, exactly. Like I said, I don't feel like it's intentional a lot of the time. Oh, by no I, don't means. Think everyone's, I don't think everyone's bad people. It's just we forget. I think everyone does it. It's just the world that we live in. And, that's, and it doesn't help where everything you see and breathe is do this, do that. At some point, you're, you're just going to be sucked in. And that's just how it is. Now, I wanted to also say that in spite of all all this that we've discussed so far and what Ghibli has released over the years, we can clearly see there's there is environmentalism here, but there's also other themes they, they naturally explore. But could we say that environmentalism was one of the bigger themes that they covered or is this like a minor theme? I think, I think that's more dependent on which film we're talking about. And the whole I collection. Would say, I would say that it's a minor thing or at least the background thing? I mean, it depends on the movie once again, because obviously environmentalism is definitely like point and center in Princess Mononoke. That's, um, uh, yeah, I would say it's more anti-war, but I, I can see the argument. Okay. I can see the argument. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it goes a little bit beyond war in Princess Mononoke. Oh, okay. Yeah, the pr princess, princess herself is... Uh, is literally uh, an aspect of like humanity within nature so and which basically devolves into europeans on native people true 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 but the um but at the same time i i see i i see it that the way that i saw it is the consequence of colonialism in the, the sense that oh hey let's we have we found this place in nature let's just destroy it and turn it into a city and then war and shoes true but i don't know with all the tree spirits too and everything and nature as a whole fighting back against the the and this, that's and, why i said it was anti-war because war is still an aspect of environmentalism i mean yeah by that logic yeah but but i, I would but, say I say environmentalism is a huge. It varies, but it's in every movie. That's that's how I'm. Going oh, to I, I think I think I can agree with that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's sort of undertones almost in because, some movies. Because there will all because there's always seem to be an element of war in one movie and an element of environmentalism, but by the tone of the story, the focus is either one, the other, or something else, but that keeps the other two intertwined. I do have a question actually. Uh, what aspects of, of environmentalism can we see in a movie such as Spirited Away? We would have to say the the luscious backgrounds we see, like from where they're coming from, like uh, when Chihiro and her parents are driving and all that, they come to a stop, they have to leave their Audi. It was an Audi that the dad was driving, or was it Mercedes? Mercedes, I think. Uh, oh, yes, I, I remember the scenery porn. Uh, for me, it's more of, for me, it seems more of a post-war thing because of the comfort woman aspect of it was kind of in your face. True, true. I mean, I guess in a very vague way, uh, no face it, could be, uh, could be a, an example of overindulging in our pleasures. It, no, it's it, it's it's a combination of the geisha culture, so you know, like the prostitution culture. Like even Chihiro was given a whore name. Like like I I don't know how the hell did you miss that? Well, in terms of environmentalism, though, I think it, it's a bit of a stretch, but. I head, I realized that I missed the environmentalism part of it. In my head, like connecting the dots, I guess a theme that we see in Spirited Away is, as uh, Zan mentioned, like overindulgence. We see it in Chihiro's parents when they eat and eat and eat and then they turn into pigs. We see it when, well, no face just literally eats everything and does not stop. And I mean, he is greed. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at it that way, it could be argued that we as humans have been very greedy and we're kind of sucking and, nature and the world dry, I guess. Like I said, it's a bit of a stretch, but that's kind of the underlying theme I see there. I, I, I would see that because uh, at the very same time, we don't see nature all that much, but we do see the effect effects that we have on it. well yeah i was gonna i was gonna say we don't we don't see nature all the uh like aspects of nature but don't forget like environmentalism is essentially uh large and due caused by avarice and yes and we see what we see avarice uh plenty in uh spirited away oh oh yes and I do think that Spirited Away might be the hallmark of saying this is what happens when you drain everything to the point that there's nothing left. You become pigs and eat. I mean, aren't we already? I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Dan, now I know what you really want. He wants I to mean, if you... Uh, I mean... Think about it. You eat and eat and eat. Eventually, you become a pig. So essentially, you eat till you become food yourself. Because like, who doesn't love bacon? Me. To be fair, <laughs> I will cook my bad life on. I forgot, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll cook in my barbecue next week. Uh. So. Also, oh yes, Hammy. Yeah, you go ahead. Sorry. I'm really sorry. I just I wanted to say this earlier, but I didn't get the chance while we were still discussing Princess Mononoke a little bit. And uh, Tensa and Zan were kind of talking about themes of war. Since we're kind of talking about underlying themes, while I agree with both of them in their points, I do also think that the theme of war does apply to environmentalism in the sense that, like, I guess nature and humans are kind of at war in a sense. That's what Tensa said. That's what I was saying. No, oh, Hammy, sorry, Hammy continue. Saying... Please continue. I like the way you said it. <laughs> but go um, on. I was just saying, I guess I didn't catch, I didn't really catch that, but the underlying okay. theme I got was just like, like I said, because while I do think we should respect the world around us and every everything like that, I do also acknowledge that there is sort of a war going on among nature and humans because of how we've treated it. Yeah, it's without a, yeah. it's without it's without a doubt that there is a dichotomy of sorts uh, between uh, well the the 
saying goes man man versus nature or nature versus man one hits yeah. the other the other hits back harder and all that 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 is also why there's often um, stories about how man conquers nature but for some reason i have a very hard time finding stories about man and nature living in harm mm, tarzan Exactly. And that's another thing I've really never understood. I'm like, where is the satisfaction in that? Like, where is the satisfaction in conquering nature and coming to this world and just blowing through it and destroying all of it and then standing on top of this empty mound of dirt victorious? I, I've never gotten it, I guess. Like, mm. I... I guess it's like a power fantasy because nature is so powerful and it makes humans feel strong in a sense in order to be able to control that to some extent and to dominate it but to be fair you don't want to be eaten by the world around you so you have to eat the world it's kind of how they think i mean there there's a balance though like i don't know if you guys ever uh you know um aesthetics such as like cyberpunk and steampunk and stuff have you guys ever looked into solar punk no nope I've never heard of the term before. You, you can Google it right now, solar punk. It's uh, uh, it's basically kind of like uh, if the world lived in utopia with nature and it's like a perfect combination of technology and nature. And we, we essentially build civilization around nature and everything and harvest natural and re renewable resources like the sun and wind and water and that, stuff that, that that sounds cute actually i i, I kind of like it yeah look it up it's called solar punk i'm looking at it right i'll now. definitely take a look right before i start harvesting your organs it's quite a vibe it's very cute i could actually i would actually love to see a studio ghibli movie in this style well wait hammy i i forgot to say speaking of ghibli films ghibli is releasing after what apparently 10 years miyazaki's releasing his Potentially the last movie, The Boy and the Heron, which will be coming out around December 8, 2023. Apparently, he confirmed that it will no longer be his last movie. Oh my god, the man needs to pick. He keeps going to retirement, then comes in out of retirement. It's like that it's, meme. It's, it's, I think it has to do with the fact that sometimes you believe that you're done and you have nothing to give. But once you're hit with an inspiration, you just can't give up on your art. Tensa, it's it's literally that meme that we've seen so often. Miyazaki's like, oh, I think I'm done. I'm going to retire now. Oh wait, oh wait, comes back to the office, makes some ramen, and makes another yes, storyboard. Yes. Like, like on by himself, he became a meme precisely because of that. Because remember when he did Spirit Away? Oh, this is my last movie. Comes back, and that's my last movie. Comes back, and I'm like, oh my god. I sent you Always. guys pictures of solar punk. I want to know your opinions. I just saw a few of them and I'm like, oh, it's that kind of scenery porn that I see on Pixiv every day. So that's what it's called. Well, with that, since we're nearing the end of the of the session for today, I want to ask really quickly, Zen, uh, actually just everyone in general, are you watching any anime right now that has heavily environmentalistic uh, influences that you, that you can give a shout out to? Ooh, that's a tough question. Hold on. Give me a second to think about it. Do the rounds with the others. Tensa. Not as of right now. Okay, I'm okay. Fine. No problem. Hammy. Oh man, I'm thinking about it, but none of the anime I've watched any time recently really has that sort of that theme. Yeah, that that the, yeah, it's it's also the fact that I'm like I haven't heard of the term before, so I mm. couldn't really zone in on a on an on a show either anime or manga that is like that mm -hmm. uh what about uh, uh no hell's paradise uh, that was the most recent one i saw and i was like damn it's everywhere not not very much in your face but you sort of come to fear what nature can do mm. in that anime inuyasha oh, I... technically has a bit of environmentalism in it and oh, i sure. guess and i and maybe... yeah because it's more of an isekai thing but i see it Maybe I was going to shout out to Castle in the Sky for some reason. Oh, classic. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. 
Alrighty. So okay. Any, any, you guys figured any other anime out since I'm coming right back to it, or, or this well, that's else? that's all I got. That's all right. I I already gave you a castle in the sky. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was talking about recent. Did you watch recent that recently? No, no, not recent stuff. I'm sorry. The, okay. I couldn't find any. That's all good. It's the fact that it's not even in my list. So like. It's okay, it's okay. But hey, if I find some, um, I'll, I'll tell you. All right, all right. Uh, Hammy, you're the last one. Got anything? I actually forgot I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But um, so yeah, it looks like we've covered quite a bit of ground. Environmentalism itself is a little harder to um, go about because if I find it's a very construed topic, but I'm... I was uh, very fortunate that I have the insight of Zan, Hammy, and Wait, Tensa. no, I oh. just remembered I did watch an anime recently. Yes. And uh, it's the Godzilla anime. Oh. I can actually get behind that, and I, I can see why. You don't even have to explain it. I just know. Yeah, the God the Godzilla. I, I'm talking about the newer one. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I haven't seen yeah, it, but yeah. heard. Godzilla Earth? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Man, that's what I was going to bring up. Whack. And better luck next time, Hammy. So, yeah, we've uh, reached the end of the podcast episode for today. I want to thank everyone who was able to, to uh, tune in as uh, watch, is listening to the episode now while it's going to drop on Spotify or is going to be watching the episode when the visuals drop on YouTube. We appreciate the love and support. And uh, yeah, so I'll uh, give us a shout out quickly to our social media links at instagram think otaku crew the facebook page the official otaku crew uh what else be sure to join the discord squad because that's where we drop all of our announcements when i go live for the twitch channel gaming and episodes being dropped on anchor or later on youtube as well as other content creators dropping announcements for their channel so my name uh, my name is Leifon, everyone. This is the official talk crew, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.